The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. My name is Doug Fern, one of the pastors here at Parkview, and it's my joy and honor to be able to open God's Word with you um, this morning. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and open them up. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians. I'll be looking at chapter 2 and verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Um, while you're turning there, allow me uh, just some time to catch you up on where we are in our series. Um, beginning of the year, for us as a church, is a chance to kind of start new. And, and as, a, as a, a leadership team, we sat down and thought, okay, what, are, what is the thing that we could do to kind of really turn our focus as a church towards as we kick off this new year? And so we have this series called Basics. And, and the, the, the goal of Basics is that we would raise um, the awareness, um, the demand um, for evangelism um, in the life of the believer and that we would help equip folks that as you go out and share this message, the gospel truth that has hopefully rocked your life here this morning, um, will, uh, you'll be ready to, to share this message. And so um, how do we equip as a church? We were focusing on three weeks. Last week, Pastor Schillinger focused on prayer and how prayer really is, is if we have any chance of sharing our faith and seeing any fruit from our efforts, um, it's going to be because our posture as believers will be on our knees. Um, it's not, I mean, we have a role in evangelism. We are called to share our faith, but ultimately it's the hand of God that calls men to himself. And so um, we as a people need to be a praying people. Prayer is the foundation. It is the life blood of evangelism. Last week, Pastor Schillinger talked about how we should be uh, praying for God to provide opportunities, opportunities for us to share this message with our friends, with our neighbors, with our colleagues, uh, fellow students, um, that we should be in prayer for boldness, that when he presents those opportunities, when we see those opportunities, that we have the boldness to take advantage of them, that we should pray for words, that as we communicate the deep truths of this book, that God's would fill our mouth with his words, that they would be his words, not necessarily our own, that we would be sensitive as we see people as individuals, that we would be sensitive, that he would give us the grace to see the truth that that person needs to hear. Prayer is the foundation of evangelism. This week, we are looking at the idea of care. How do we, as believers, build relationships with folks who are outside of the faith, who do not follow Jesus? How do we build relationships with those folks so that we can proclaim the gospel message to them? How do we care for people? And then next week, uh, Pastor Gilmore and Pastor Gaskell will be talking about share. How do you share the gospel? This message is, to be clear, an articulated message. It needs to have words that are hung on it so that it can communicate to others the truth of the gospel. And so, again, our focus this morning is care. How do we care? How do we build relationships with folks? Um, for me, this verse is incredibly helpful. We're just looking at really one verse this morning. We will be all over the place to some degree. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Let me read it for us. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you um, for these words this morning. Lord, thank you um, 
for the opportunities that we have this morning to just assemble um, to hear your word, Lord, that it would challenge us. And Lord, our prayer is that as we leave here this morning, folks, that, or God, that the folks in this room would leave here with a very clear understanding of what it is that you um, require of them, Father. And I just pray right now that you would speak through me and that your word would be very clear, Lord. I pray your spirit would be in this room um, and it would be at work. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, a couple, uh, last couple months have been interesting for me, um, for our family, and um, there's been a number of things that have really happened in our life that have caused me um, to really appreciate um, the preciousness and also the brevity of life. And uh, it was around Thanksgiving break, I got a phone call from a, a woman, a woman who I've known for a number of years, probably 10 to 12 years. I, I know her because I've worked closely with, she's got three boys, I've worked with her boys um, as they grew up. And, um, and she called me up and when, anytime I would work, I uh, would go hang out with her kids or we would do stuff in ministry and I would pick them up. A lot of times mom would be at work and, and the kids would be at home with um, her boyfriend. Um, sometimes they would refer to him as their stepdad. Um, but so as, as a result, over the years, I built up this kind of casual, surface level at the most part, relationship with this man. Um, he, he would know me as Doug. He would not necessarily recognize me or, or refer to me as a pastor. Um, I don't know if he would have known that I was. Um, but over the years, I built a relationship with this man. And uh, she called me around Thanksgiving time and she said, you know, Doug, I, um, I, Ciro, the man's name was Ciro, and um, he was at the hospital, um, he's had a lot of pain, and he got diagnosed with stage four cancer, and they're, they're saying he's probably got about two weeks. He wanted me to call you up and to see if you'd be able to come up and just spend some time with him. And so, you know, uh, of course, I was uh, ready and willing and, and excited to be able to do that. Uh, but I was not prepared um, for what was going to happen in my heart as I walked in um, to that room. I went up to the hospital, and I hadn't really wanted to go to the hospital. We had spent some time there recently and wasn't super excited about that. Um, but as I walked into the room, um, I was overwhelmed with a deep sense of loneliness, of loneliness. I walked in there and he had tubes coming out of him and I don't necessarily know um, all that was involved in the type of cancer that he had. Um, but uh, I walked in, as soon as I walked in the room, he just tears um, just started rolling down his face and he saw me and I walked up to him and just held his hand and just started praying um, and I was there for just a few minutes um, and then they had nurses had come in and they take him down to get some tests and I kind of waited there and um, when he came back you know again just held his hand and um, opened the word and just began to read scripture and, and prayed with um, with him and was there for about an hour um, then I went home and was, you know, going home and just, there was a lot of stuff going on in my heart at the time and, you know, I was just, I wasn't prepared, like I said, for what I saw and as I went home, I, I just shared with my wife, you know, this is, this is what happened, this is what I saw and, and told her, you know, kind of what I did and everything and then she asked me a question. Um, I should have saw the question coming but the question she asked me was, did you share the gospel with him? And the moment and like the question did you share the gospel with him well I, I held his hand and and I prayed with him I opened the Bible and read scripture to him and with him but I did not share the gospel with him and I mean as soon as she asked the question I just right away um, 
I was remembering back to an individual we had speaking here on a Sunday. His name was Ying Kai, and he was here talking about the very same to- topics, evangelism. Um, and he shared a, shared a very similar story about as a chaplain in a hospital, how he was, you know, going around to these rooms and had came across an individual and um, didn't share the gospel and went back the next day, and that individual was was not there anymore that he had passed. And that memory just sprung into my head and. Um, the next morning I woke up right away and just went up to the hospital, went to his room and, and praised Jesus. The man was still laying there and he was, he was watching TV, flipping through the channels. And uh, I walked in and again, he was totally, totally by himself. And I just sat next to him and, and again held his hand and he, he just started weeping and was terrified. He was terrified and um, I just asked him, just tell me his story. I mean, there was a bit of a language barrier and so we couldn't get extraordinarily deep, but he shared with me kind of where he had come from, how he got here, and um, the different people who were in his life um, who were not here, and um, he shared, and he shared, and then, and then afterwards, one of the things that was so incredibly helpful for me when Yinkai spoke um, was that he said, oftentimes, one of the mistakes that as Westerners we make when we share the gospel, when we share the message of Jesus with others, is that oftentimes, we ask permission. We ask permission. Is it okay if, if I share with you a, a few things right now? And then we put the ball on their court and they can say yes or no. It's a safe way to do it, right? Um, and as I was sitting there, I just, that nugget was just tucked in my head and just said, don't you dare ask permission. So he shared his story and after he shared his story, then, then I began to share mine. And I can't share my life and my story without sharing the gospel message. And so um, I shared with him about what Jesus had done in my life and um, and that just led me for the next you know, 45 minutes to, with the Bible in my hand and a translator app on my phone um, to, to walk through the truths of the gospel message. Um, and as I held his hand and, and tears ran down his face and I mean, he was terrified of what lied ahead. Um, that man walked into the kingdom that morning and then I went back and met with him um, for a number of different times and, and just prayed with him and read scripture and assured him of his salvation and um, and every time I went back, there was an the exception of maybe once or twice when, um, when this woman was there, um, he was alone. Um, and then she called me up towards the beginning of December and, and said that he had passed. Um, and I, I just cannot imagine what would have done had I not taken advantage of that opportunity. And the reason why I had that opportunity um, was because um, God had provided it through the sharing of our lives um, what I, my hope is this morning is oftentimes what we can do when we come to church on a Sunday is we can come and get in this mode of Sunday after Sunday. We show up and each week there's a different topic, there's another discipline, there's something else I have to change or I have to improve in. Um, and, and this topic is one that oftentimes can leave us walking away with a guilty conscience. And what I want us to see very clearly this morning is that if, if we want to share our faith, if we want to grow in this area of proclaiming the gospel message, uh, a guilty conscience isn't going to be what it takes to do that, okay? For me, what is really helpful is, if we, is, is, is looking at Psalm 51, and we see the heart and the character of David in Psalm 51, and we see what propels him to share his faith. I'm just going to 
I'm going to read it. I don't know if it's on the slide or if they got it up there or not, but this was kind of an audible. Um, Psalm 51. I'm just going to read the first 13 verses, and this is what it says. This is David. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. One thing that David is fully aware of is the wickedness of his heart. As he pours out in these six verses, his iniquity is before him. You don't have to convince this man that he's a sinner. He knows his heart, and he knows it well. It's a wicked heart. It's a wicked heart. His sin is ever before him. He knows what he deserves. He sees the separation between him and God. In verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David knows he's a sinner. He knows He's a sinner. But what David also knows is that the only chance he has is if God saves him. And that his God is a good God. And even though he doesn't deserve salvation, by the grace of God, he can receive it. And what's his response? He knows he's a sinner. The only shot this man has is if God saves him. And when he appreciates that salvation, what's his response? I would contend this morning it should be our same response. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David's understanding of what he deserves and how good and merciful and gracious his God is, the only response that's appropriate for a man whose life has been rocked by the gospel is that he then takes that very message and proclaims it to everyone that he knows, that he is ready to share and to teach the exact same reality that the same God that has gripped his heart, he is ready then to share with those around him. For the believer, evangelism like David should flow from a heart 
that loves God and that loves his people. That's what we see in 1 Thessalonians. That's what we see in 1 Thessalonians. And this morning, that's what I want you to see. And I want you to walk away. That a, that a heart, that evangelism comes from a heart that's bent towards God and that breaks for his people. That's what should propel us. That's what should motivate us to, to share our faith. Not a guilty conscience. Not just one more thing that I have to do. But the reality of who God is and what he has done in your life should force us to share our gospel. What I want us to see this morning, and the main point of this message and this text is um, I want us to see that if we want to see the gospel spread in this community, the spreading of the gospel will demand the sharing of our lives. If we want to see the gospel take hold, if we want to see men and women, neighbors, colleagues give their lives to the Lord, then it will require that we, like Paul, are ready to share not just the gospel of God, but our own selves. Our own selves. That's what it will require of us. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, this is um, one of Paul's um, earlier letters, and he's writing it to the church at Thessalonica, and, and in this, this passage finds itself, this verse finds itself at a moment when Paul is kind of giving a defense for why he, his motivation for ministry. There were some questions, some accusations about what his intention was, what his motivation was, and how he did ministry, and so he's defending the time that he spent with this church where he saw a significant amount of fruit. And so in this verse, in verse eight, what we get is we get a snapshot, we get a picture, we get a glimpse of what Paul's ministry model was. And I would contend this morning that if we wanna see some fruit in our community as we share our faith, we would do well to follow our brother Paul. There are two things he says he shared. Two things he says he shared. First, so he was ready. They were ready to share the gospel message, the gospel of God. And the second thing was they were ready to share their lives. And so the first point is um, our message. What is our message? Um, you know, last week, Pastor Schilling just talked a lot about fear and how I said it. In this idea of sharing your faith in evangelism, one of the greatest barriers, one of the greatest obstacles that can oftentimes for the believer keep us from sharing our faith is fear. A lot of times we're terrified, and, and if we are doing this well, if we're loving God, we, we are rocked by who he is and what he's done, and we love his people, our heart breaks for his people, um, then the reality is fear is something that's, that's quite honestly, folks, it's always going to be there. I think a common misconception is that as, a, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the more time you spend as a believer and you grow in your relationship, that there will come a point in your Christian life, some point, some future distant point where, where you will no longer deal with fear. And then when you arrive there and fear is not an issue anymore, then you will start sharing your faith. And I would just tell you right now, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. The, the early church, folks who, who spent time with Jesus, who, who spent time with him when he was resurrected, were terrified. 
because they knew if they shared this message, it could cost them their life. And so their response was they, they prayed to God for boldness, that he would give them boldness and clarity and opportunities. They needed God to work in the midst of their fear. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be the first one to say, I cannot think of a time individually, personally, one-on-one with somebody, or publicly like I'm doing right now, where I've shared the gospel and not had some degree of fear. I can't think of a time when I haven't been terrified. And unfortunately, there's times when that fear chokes it out. And in every one of us, that fear Our response should be to pray for God to give us boldness in the midst of it. You know, quite honestly, if we're building relationships with folks, if we love God and we love his people, then then the very fact that I'm going to share with you now what I believe to be the only hope of the world, and you might quite possibly reject eternity with God. That should terrify us. It should. Perhaps they'll reject us. Maybe we do it at the wrong time, you know? There's so many different lies and things that can, can creep in there that can cause that fear to just grow and grow and grow and choke out the message that we have to share. But I believe, and this morning what I want to spend some time on is that fear is not the only obstacle that oftentimes can keep us from sharing the message of the gospel. I believe another thing that can often keep us from sharing the gospel is, is many of us quite possibly in here this morning don't have a proper understanding of what the gospel message actually is. And so I want to spend just a few minutes focusing specifically on that message. First, I will do it from the negative standpoint, what the gospel isn't. Okay, let's focus on what the gospel isn't for just a few minutes. There's a lot of confusion on what the gospel is in our culture. Um, It's not simply Christianity 101, where you study it for a little bit of time, you get a good understanding of it, and then you move on to deeper theological truths. It's not simply Christianity 101. It's not a junk drawer of sorts, or perhaps a purse would maybe be a better illustration, one that I can relate a little bit more to, where you just kind of throw everything in a purse, and I mean, you just got to learn as a man to just stay away from the purse. Don't put your hand in that purse, all right? Don't, you have no idea what's in that purse. You have no idea what's in it. Just stay out of it, okay? The, the gospel is not simply a purse that just collects everything that's good and Christian in it. It's not what it is. It's not good advice and instructing us on what we should do and how we should live, it's good news that's already been done, okay? And if we were to survey the evangelical landscape in our culture today, odds are we would see, we would come across, you will come across, you know, just turn on the, the Christian radio station. It's there. Perhaps the Barnes & Noble, Christian, the Christian section at Barnes & Noble, turn on your TV and you will see and you will hear lots of gospel imposters, Things that claim to be the gospel sound similar to the gospel, but in fact are not the gospel. You will, we are surrounded with lots of imposters. I only have time to name two. Um, the first one would be the therapeutic gospel is a gospel imposter. It's not the actual gospel. The therapeutic gospel says Jesus exists solely to make you feel loved, to make you feel significant, to affirm you, to, to pump you up. Jesus is simply seen as the meter of your psychological and emotional needs, not your Lord and Savior. The therapeutic gospel is not the gospel. Another imposter is the prosperity gospel. This is one perhaps we have uh, more familiarity with. Um, The prosperity gospel says, our salvation looks a lot like 
like financial abundance. And if we are experiencing sickness or difficulty in our life, it isn't the result of our fallen condition. Rather, it's the result of a lack of faith that we have. And if we simply get more faith, well, then our life will begin to turn around. Folks, that's not the gospel message. Both of those imposters, um, they gain traction in our culture because they have hints. They have fragments of the gospel that are hidden in them. But they are not the gospel themselves. They both take, their primary problem is they take Christ out of the center of the gospel message and they insert conveniently you and me into the center of the gospel message. And we're not in the center of it. Christ is in the center of the gospel. They aren't the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. First Peter chapter 3, 18 for me is a wonderful verse that summarizes the glorious truths of the gospel message. Let me read it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That that we have a problem. Namely, our problem is sin keeps us from a holy and righteous God. And the only chance, the only shot that we have to be reconciled, to be in relationship with God, is that we receive the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus paid for when he died on the cross. From Genesis to Revelation, the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the gospel message is God's promise of a son who would forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. It is the story of a good God who loves a sinful people sent his son to die in their place that they might respond by repenting of their sins and receive the gift of salvation. That is what the gospel message is. That is it. That is it. And that is what we are called to share. Now, oftentimes, I think if we were to just survey Western culture, um, we would see that times have changed. And in the past, oftentimes what we can do as Christians, and, and I'm guilty of it, we're guilty of it as much as anybody else, is trying to find that one magic bullet. That as we share our faith, there is one particular way that will be very effective in our culture. And in the past, that's looked a lot like having a big campaign, a big event where you draw men and women to come. They hear a great message preached. There might be lasers and lights shooting all over the stage. There's an amazing band. The program is together, and it's happening. And that's how we are going to share our faith with folks around us. And in the past, that worked wonderfully. Many people, I would consider probably even in this room, gave their life to Jesus because of some sort of thing like that. And God can use that, and he can work like that, and he still uses that, quite honestly. But we have to recognize the times that we're living in now, they have changed. And I don't have a lot of time to go over this, so I'm just going to, three things that we have to know about our times. First is our world. We are living currently in a post, in the West, in a post-Christian culture. We're living in a post-Christian culture. Um, For me, a good just analogy for this is, I don't know if you guys have seen one of these before, it's a Fitbit, okay? 
getting a little fit, all right? It's a Fitbit. And my brother-in-law gave this to me um, a couple months ago, and I put it on. And, and what if you have spent much time with me at work or in life or whatever, you would know that what I'm doing now with a Fitbit on my wrist is, is somebody might ask me, like, well, Doug, can you be here in 25 minutes? And I'll go like this. Okay, well, anybody who knows what a Fitbit is, it measures your steps and it measures your miles, your activity. It does not measure, at least mine, I got the cheap one, it does not measure your time, okay? So this does me no good. I look at the Fitbit and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't tell me anything, okay? And what was even more crazy about that, this is my habit. What time is it? I look, I have no idea. Let's go to the phone, okay? Why do I do this? Why do I do this? I have no idea. I never have worn a watch, I'm not a watch person. This is not a habit I'm used to doing, okay? I don't ever do that, okay? But hang with me for a minute. Now, Apple's trying to change it up. The reality is we are increasingly living in a post-watch world, right? Phones are the main way that we tell time. Most of us, it's the way I tell my time is I grab my phone. I don't look at my wrist, right? But I have this memory of what a watch is and what it's supposed to do. I remember seeing my dad and there's people on TV and some people wear watches. No, I'm not hating if you have a watch. You're still hip, it still works, okay? Apple's bringing it back. But for the most part, just for the, you know, the analogy, we're kind of living in a post-watch world where we have this memory of a watch, a memory of a time when Christianity Christianity was what set the agenda in our culture. The church had authority. And even if we weren't a believer, we had a basic understanding of what Christian truths and values and principles looked like, and we valued that for the most part. Well, increasingly, our culture, and with millennials, we are losing our religion. That's the reality. And we're getting further and further away from a time where Christianity was at the center and set our cultural agenda. We're living in a post-Christian world. And so what is it required now? Is it required is for us to, to just sort of, the idea before was you could just kind of wake people up, right? If you could just do something snazzy, you could wake folks up and they would give their lives to Jesus because they kind of had a, an understanding. There's no understanding anymore. People aren't even going like this in our culture. Our world is post-Christian. Our world is also post-modern, not just in the understanding of beliefs in Christianity, but just in basic truth. Post-modernism, the modernist um, aims of certainty, absolute truth, and confidence in science are seen as problematic now. Seen as problematic. Two things that are helpful is that in, the, in a post-modern world, we see the deconstruction of truth. Truth is made rather than being found. And any claim of truth by a particular group is simply an attempt to try and gain power over those around them. Okay? And so the postmodernists see it as their job to deconstruct the truth. The other thing that's helpful is to understand that in a postmodern world, there is the rejection of a meta-narrative, a grand story that transcends cultures, which brings significance to origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Rejects it. There's not one story that all cultures can understand, bring significance to those. And our world is also pluralist. We see this, I mean, Iowa City is a great example of what a pluralist society looks like. And pluralism, I'm not referring to simply the fact that there's a lot of people from different cultures, ethnic groups, beliefs that live here, because that's a wonderful thing. The world is a plural world in that regard. But it's pluralist in the sense that we no longer can take a belief. The very idea that there's one belief that transcends the plurality is met with skepticism. It isn't trusted. 
We live in a postmodern, post-Christian, and a pluralist world. And so our tactics have to look a little different. We no longer can go along and just start waking folks up in their apathetic state, okay? There are things we have to do, and there's a way we have to bring the gospel message to them. Paul says, two-pronged approach. We are ready to share our message, and we're ready to share our lives, our own selves. And I would contend again this morning that if we want to see the gospel gain traction, if we want to see our neighbors, our families, our friends, our colleagues come to Jesus, we have to be ready to share our message and to share our own selves. Evangelism is messy business. It cannot be done. It cannot be done well if we are not willing to give ourselves. So what does our tactics look like? Got a few minutes. Um, one is the, the value of a relationship. The value of a relationship is, necessity as we can, is a necessity as we consider sharing our message, sharing our life with those around us. A couple years ago, I can remember when I first started doing ministry, there was a kid who I built a relationship with. I'm gonna talk really fast now, but I'm gonna try to slow down because I'm not gonna let time be a determinant, okay? There was a kid who I started building a relationship with, okay? And the number of kids, we would go out on Friday night, go to the rec center, have lots of fun. One particular kid, about eight months into it, I think I started in November, we're in midsummer, and this kid's out of school, we're going fishing all the time, I'm with him like all summer long, and just my heart was just like broken over this kid, okay? He just, I loved him, right? And one day I went to go pick him up at his house, and knocked on the door, and his mom opened the door and said, he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? He went to Chicago. Oh, he went to Chicago. When was he coming back? I don't know. I mean, you don't know. He might be... God, well, he might come back, he might not come back, right? And so for like a week or two, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I get a hold of him? You know, I'm talking to aunties, to uncles, trying to figure out, is he coming back? What's the deal? And I can remember just my heart broke. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you learned your lesson. You're not gonna do that again. You're supposed to guard your life to some degree. You can't invest fully in somebody like that. You have no idea. You can't take that kind of investment. And I remember sharing kind of my logic, my thinking with a good friend of mine, and he says, well, if you aren't willing to do that, do you actually think you're ever going to see any fruit in ministry? If you're not willing to open your life up, to be vulnerable and real, to be willing to experience pain, if you're not going to be willing to do that, odds are the gospel is probably not going to spread too far through you. Relationship is critical. Next thing I can think about is, is just the value of love and how do we do that. You know, a couple, um, for those of you who know, me and my wife, in, in October we lost, we lost our little girl. And when we did, th- when that happened, um, I can't tell you the amount of love and care that we felt from this church. We were just totally blown away by it. And what was amazing is as, as we were in the, you know, there was, she, she was really sick too, and we were in the hospital, and people would come visit with us, you know, for, for a day there, we had our, our, our little girl that we got to hold overnight, and people would come, and they'd visit, and, and they'd want to hold her with us. They, they wept with us. They held us. They loved us. They entered in they bore the weight of our tragedy. It wasn't probably fun for them. I can remember going to a, 
One of the hardest things I did shortly thereafter was I went to a, I took my son to a football game, and I can just remember driving down there and just seeing all these cars and people talking to the cars, and just when you have a tragedy like that, you're kind of just, God gives you this grace where he removes you from time for a moment. Time kind of just stops. I can remember looking at the cars going by and, and seeing the parents, you know, hustling their kids to the game and just thinking, wow, you know, life is really valuable. It's really precious. There was a, a, a CD that came out by um, Coldplay, an album that came out in the beginning of December, and there's a song on that. Coldplay's a band, in case you don't know. Um, there was a song on there called Everglow, and there's a, there's a verse. I mean, I just keep listening to that song. It's been really helpful for me, just very poetic, and it deals with somebody who, who lost, you know, this person lost somebody, and, and there's a verse in there. It says, how come things move on? How come cars don't slow? When it feels like the end of my world, when I should, but I can't let it go. And if we're going to be willing to share our lives with folks, then when their time stops, our time should stop too. And that was a lesson that for me, I just look back and I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't get that. There were so many opportunities I could have stopped with folks in life and didn't. That's what love looks like, is being willing to do that. That's what it looks like when you share your life with somebody. When the cancer doesn't get healed, that you enter into that. Another one, just real quick, is just wisdom. I think we have to have wisdom as we approach people. The reality is, is the person that's standing in front of you, that lives next to you, that works alongside of you, is just that. They're a person. Oftentimes in our culture and with social media, we can be tempted to put everybody into categories and to think, well, because you look like that, dress like that, talk like that, have that color skin, come from that background, ride that whip, because that's the way you are, then that means everything else has got to be true about you. And we categorize people in that way rather than seeing people as precious, as complex, appreciating the intersectionality of life that we form our identities in different ways with different experiences. And you can't actually appreciate that until you slow down enough to listen to folks. And oftentimes, especially, I mean, in the church, we can just be ready to give our response and our statement and just expect them to respond or reject rather than taking the time to get to know what's going on. I mean, Jesus had this ultimate ability. He, I mean, he had it way better than we did to some degree. He could tell what was in the hearts of men. He knew the exact truth that that person needed to hear. He knew it. Well, the great thing for us on this side of the cross is that he says, well, you're actually not doing it alone. You have the Holy Spirit. And so again, we just fall to our knees and cry out for his help, that he would give us the wisdom to appreciate the individual that's in front of us if we're going to share our lives with folks, if we want to see the gospel spread in the community, we have to be able to share our lives, be ready to share our lives with those around us. So just in closing, I want you to just think, as you leave here, um, I want you to think, ask yourself two questions. One would be, um, who, I mean, who is it right now in your life that really needs this message and needs you? Who is that person? Last week we asked you to just pray for a lot of different people and I want you to just narrow it down to give me one. Just give me one person 
and we do this a lot, we're doing it again, just who is that one person? And I want you to think about um, how can you share your life with them this week? How can you share that message and your life with that person this week? Let me pray. Father God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to be here, um, to look at your word. Um, thank you for this truth. Um, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in our midst who does not know it, who does not claim it, Father, I pray you would, you would reach them with it, Father. Um, Lord, we love you and um, give us the courage to share our faith in the midst of fear. Give us boldness to proclaim it um, and show us how we can best share our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.